So uh, the quote for this week is, Right now, when we're hearing so much disturbing and hateful rhetoric, it is so important to remember that our diversity has been and will always be our greatest source of strength and pride here in the United States. This was said by the infamous um, FLOTUS that we all love and adore, Miss or Michelle Obama. Okay. Um, okay. So, yeah, of course. She's <laughs> our first lady still. And uh, we just really wanted to highlight that diversity is all around us. Um, the biggest part of that is acknowledging it. So. Yeah. You know, America is called the melting pot of America. That's what they said it. That's, <laughs> that's what they called it now. That's what they say it. So. Um, Mahoney messages. <clears throat> we have none. So. We'll just take that L, and whenever you guys feel like messaging us on our Mahoney messages, our email is melaninnmedicine02 at gmail.com. I'm still waiting, so we'll get into that another time whenever you people email us, but we'll segue right into our stepping stones. So um, the theme for our stepping stones this week is culturally competent doctors, right? So let's start with that. Let's stem off that. Where do you see the influence of culturally competent doctors? Or like, how do you see that being beneficial for society as a whole? Yeah, so I guess for me, to, for a doctor, that's like a must. Like, you have to be culturally competent. Um, because you never know what your patients are going through and I feel like if you don't under or at least try to understand your patients and their experiences you'll never truly understand their disease so say um you have a patient come in and they just moved here from a different country they might not have like the same customs customs as we do Mm -hmm. so if you don't understand that their customs are different than ours, right. you'd never probably be able to treat them. Right, you know? right. Or you'd always just have conflict with that patient. Yeah, and then you have lower, um, what am I thinking of? They won't, like, listen to you. Yeah, patient, uh, not reliability, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, like your patient doesn't trust you as much. Yeah. Because you can't relate. Yeah, yeah. Right. Doctor-patient trust relationship. Right. Like you lose that. Yeah, absolutely. What about you, Kia? What do you think? Yeah, I mean, basically that's a huge part of it is just that you want to have doctors who can relate to their patients, but not only relate to them, but just understand that although you may not be able to, like I said, relate to them, you see that their practices or their views or their experiences shape how they feel they could be treated or how they perceive medicine as a whole. And I feel like a lot of times in medicine, people feel like there's a barrier when their doctor, they feel like their doctor can't relate to them, or, you know, mm-hmm. they look at their doctor and they're like, well, you have, you know, this high paying job and you never really have to worry about anything. And although that might not be true for the physician, that's what the the status of a physician in our society portrays, so to speak. So from that perspective, and like most of the time, the patient population that physicians are treating are like people who aren't the most well-off. I mean, that's the majority of the population in itself, you know. Mm -hmm. So to be serving a population that's so far from the presentation of a physician 
it might come off as though, well, you don't understand, like, why I'm going through these things, or you don't understand why I can't prioritize my health over my finances, things like that. And a lot of times, especially with, like, how big insurance is and how much of an influence it has on the type of care people can receive, that's a big thing. Like, if you don't understand, I can't pay for this treatment, and the only way to get it is to pay out of pocket, then, of course, you're going to suggest the most expensive thing, you know? Yeah, that's true. And when a doctor is culturally competent, they can really acknowledge that maybe this isn't the way for them to get treated. That's when they reach out and look for other opportunities for them. And that's where it's, like, most influential or beneficial, I guess. So That's true, because then if you think about it, like, sometimes you'll have a patient come in who like has high blood pressure and you like know like the reason that they have this is because they need to like start exercising and eating better but you have to realize that sometimes some of those patients they come from areas where like their closest grocery store is probably like 20-30 minutes they absolutely don't have a car yeah there's no way for them to get there so what are they gonna do walk to the closest McDonald's if they're hungry right. and spend a dollar on a Big Mac absolutely. so as a doctor you kind of have to know your patients but at the same time ask the right questions to figure out like their background too so you can figure out the best treatment for them right and also be humble like Mm -hmm. that's a big thing because like although you might not be able to like you may may not have walked the same footsteps or whatever as your patient like understand not everybody has access to the resources you may have been experienced to um be able to admit like maybe you struggled um, in your in your life and so being able to be like you know what I've been there we've all been there I, I can accept that that's a hard place to be and if you have to prioritize things over your health I completely understand and then work with them in that effect because I feel like a lot of people when they have experienced those setbacks or have experienced those types of obstacles they'll use that as a way to say well I made it you know why why can't you so to speak and I just feel like that's a very spiteful way to look at it and you have to just be willing to be like look I I get it let's work on what we can do look at look at the positive and see how you can take this crappy situation so to speak and just yeah just make the best of it so yeah culturally competent it it can extend past you know the different I guess dynamics that people just assume is like just understanding yeah. culture, you know? So, Kia, in that terms, how do we tell our listeners from, I guess, all different age groups to become more com- culturally competent? That is a good point. Um, okay, so I feel like, let's start with, like, high school. Yeah, so, so high school. in high school, definitely, like, dipping your toes into, like, something new. You know yes, what I mean? Yes. Like, like being able to explore other cultures and understand yeah, like join different organizations like right. don't just stick to the ones you're comfortable like maybe like if you're an athlete join art club or mm-hmm. something like that like mm-hmm. when we talk about culturally competent we don't mean like just race like yeah there's culturally competent like understanding that someone from the south is going to behave someone who's born in the northeast right or the midwest yeah so like joining different clubs with different people and getting to know different people that's right being open to new hobbies mm-hmm. things like that because by putting yourself in those different areas you are like making yourself more susceptible to becoming more culturally competent yes and that's really huge that is really huge yeah um okay so then college college so i would say for college i think one thing is i feel like you're getting to the point where you're older right. so you can start realizing like your implicit bias Mm-hmm. So, oh, come yeah. on. 
<laughs> so, um, and if for those of you who don't know, implicit biases are biases that we have that are like unco- unconscious. So that was one of the ones I hoped wouldn't be on the MCAT. So, <laughs> so <laughs> implicit is implied. Yeah, so I think it's unconscious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you don't realize you have these biases. Or subconscious. Okay. Yeah, yeah, something like that. <laughs> you don't realize you have these biases. So. You might, I'm trying to think of, like, an implicit bias that people would have, like. Um, so, like, I, I, like, all tall people are basketball players? Yeah. Is that a thing? Yeah, that's a thing. <laughs> so, like, if you see a super tall person, they might not be athletic at all. Or they must be good at basketball, basketball, you know? Yeah, so you automatically assume that. And it's, like, if we have, we have all these implicit biases in society, like, how do we expect to... Overcome them. Yeah, overcome them. So I think starting to realize those implicit biases so that whenever you do get to the point where you're treating patients, if you know these things about yourself, Mm -hmm. you can try to stop them or work on not having those thoughts. Or just acknowledge, like, you know what? That's just something I'd be thinking. Let me, (laughs) like, stash that. Yeah. Yeah. That's really important. Check yourself. That's good. That's really good. Yeah. Um, when you're in college, I just feel like you really have to make kind of a bigger effort with yourself because at that point, you know, you're you're still molding, but you're kind of set in who you are. So that's one of those things. It's like you really have to make the effort to get to know other cultures, understand, like, different backgrounds and understand, like, different opportunities people may have and how that may influence the decisions they make. Yeah. So just being more well-rounded and open-minded. Mm-hmm. And I, we're not saying, like, you have to agree with, no, all yeah. the different cultures and stuff, just, like, know that other people have different thoughts and opinions than you, and it could affect your treatments. Yeah. Because although, I mean, even if you don't agree with someone's practices, at the end of the day, the patient is in control. Mm-hmm. And that is really important when it comes to, like, working with a patient. Yes, you can know all the things you know, and you can study as much as you want to in medical school, but at the end of the day, if the patient doesn't want, you know, this type of treatment, there's nothing you can do about it. Yeah. So you have to understand, like, part of the communication to at least explain to them how treatment is going about and how their body is reacting or what this diagnosis is, that all comes with being culturally competent because if you're speaking a language completely over their head or jargon, you know, something they're just absolutely not hearing, they're not going to feel like it's as important or crucial as maybe if you like sat down and just let them know, you know, in their own kind of sense. So yeah, I feel like I just got off on a tangent, but college. So I guess med school and beyond. Right. Well, yeah. So like at the graduate medical school kind of level, um, at that point you might be kind of stuck in your ways and you really just have to be willing to change and understand like the whole process, you have to be open to change. And so if you aren't culturally competent by that point, you have to really humble yourself and just realize that understanding different experiences, like I said, or backgrounds is crucial to your job. Yeah, that's true. At the end of the day, like... <laughs> I guess we could talk about in undergrad, um, Kia and I, we were both sociology minors, and we mm-hmm. took... Um, oh, God. Come on, girl. Let <laughs> them know. Took, what was that? Um, human sexuality course yes. in sociology. And I remember I went to class the first day, and Kia was like... I was like, Kia, register for this class. <laughs> like, you have to take this with me. So we took the Wait, class. let's tell them why we took it. So we took yeah. it because... <laughs> It was a definite... So the teacher that was teaching it, super cool. She we was love... Like, I love her. Look, we're not going to shout her out, but 
She was amazing. She, she was. If amazing. you have one of those teachers in your life, you take good care of you them. You take all her classes. <laughs> so she was teaching this human sexuality class. It was like, what? Was it once a week or twice a week? I think it was twice. Okay. And it was a night class. Yeah. And, and I was like, oh, Kia, we have to take this. Right. We were just going to struggle through together. And so, like, the idea of the class, we had no idea what to expect, really. Yeah. And it was a very... We I walked mean, in. I was like... It was wild. I looked at Kia. She was like, Flo, stop. And I was like... <laughs> oh, she's so expressive. <laughs> so it's 20 people in the class. This is like part of the reason I, I feel like I'm so open-minded now. Yeah, me too. Yeah. Honestly, yeah, same. It was 20 people in the class. And I want to say like they all might have identified as a woman at one point in their life. Because there were no men. I'll, I'll say there were no men. Like Yeah, sex, sexual-wise, yes. there was no men in yes. our class. Yeah. Um, but, like, it was so, like, some people identified as, like, non-gender conforming. Some people identified as male. Yeah, yeah. gender fluid. Like, anything. And it was a real big eye-opener for us. And I guess that is a really good way to say we dived into a whole new... We did, because I remember we had had talks like we the class it got serious yeah i didn't even know what gender fluid or any of that was until mm-hmm. we took that class and i was like wow yeah I, it was it was good mm-hmm. it was amazing and like to till this day like i just really appreciate i'll, I'll talk about things with people and I, i'll be able to check them and let them know that's completely ignorant yeah you know what i mean that's that's not the way things work or that's not acceptable at all and you should really be open to those types of experiences even if we're not saying you know hop into the first sexuality classes <laughs> but jumping into those types of environment with an open mind is is huge because if we were to drop that class that night we would have missed out on a great opportunity yeah. to learn and to grow and to understand like yeah, what some people go through in society that you don't even like realize or notice and like some of those people like we our undergrad wasn't that big i've never seen them at all yeah campus. yeah no so i yeah yeah because most of them are like adults that work during the day mm-hmm. so yeah most definitely like it was a very interesting experience but stuff like that like that's not necessarily a um that's a culture per se but it's not like a you know a race yeah so back to what you were saying like it doesn't have to just be a racial limitation at all so yeah ah, wow I forgot about that class. I know. I love that class. That class was amazing. Like, I feel like we left every time just like, whoa. Wow. We learned something crazy. Like, we would always watch, like, the craziest videos. I remember, like, we went over... Well, this might not be acceptable. But they had, like, the porn segment or whatever. And we talked about, like, sex workers and, like, their, like, feelings about things. And it just really gives you a different perspective on, like... Just something you never really thought you'd learn about, yeah. you know? Because remember at some point, like, our teacher was like, if you think about it, dating and relationships, is that kind of like prostitution? Because remember she was she like... She did make us think about that. Yeah. Because <laughs> she was like, if you think about it, guys take girls out on dates, like, mm-hmm. you might get physical, like, is that really... Is that considered sex work? Yeah. So, yeah, it, just all that to say. <laughs> <laughs> all that to say, like, really, yeah, be open-minded. Um, culturally competent, yeah. And then so, I guess, did we highlight mainly how that's a negative if you're not able to be culturally competent as a physician? I think we kind of covered that. Yeah. What did you say? Okay, cool. Yeah. Um, okay, well, because, yeah. Yeah. Cool. So then, stepping stone, uh, number two, we're going to acknowledge, let's cover underrepresented minority, and I think we can merge it with the next one so underrepresented minority so AMC defines underrepresented minority do you want to read the definition yeah I can so 
According to AMC, an underrepresented minorities um, in medicine means those racial and ethnic populations that are underrepresented in the medical profession relative to their numbers in the general population. Cool. So what does that mean to you, Kia? I mean, I just realized it's literally racial and ethnic populations. So, which I think is really limiting and almost like kind of upsetting just because I don't think it should be limited to racial and ethnic populations. I feel like things such as economic status, um, where you live as far as like urban, rural, if it's like a, and granted we'll acknowledge this in the next thing we cover, but I feel like to call it an underrepresented minority and then to just look at the representation as based on racial and ethnic limitations is just kind of, like I said, limiting. I, I don't think that's, if you're gonna call it an underrepresented minority, just underrepresented racial minority yeah you know what i mean versus like because i mean minority groups that's there's so many things you could be a minority of yeah and then i even think of like sexual like sexuality like it's like underrepresented absolutely so i'm like there's so many other things that could be considered underrepresented in med underrepresented in medicine Mm -hmm. that um uh, yeah i read this definition i was just like wow that's it yeah well i guess the ones um, from their website, it's it says blacks, Mexican Americans, Native Americans, um, and then main, mainland Puerto Ricans. I don't know what that means. People living on Puerto Rico. Because you know Puerto Rico is a part of the U.S. territory. Yeah, so, so they're underrepresented. I'm sure. <laughs> Look, because it was a huge distress. We won't even get on the mess because I'm sure some people there don't have lights, and that's something that just eats me up. But whatever. Yeah. So um, that's yes. an underrepresented minority in medicine. So what do you think about that? Um, I think for that, I think it's kind of crazy because in society there would be more groups. Like if we were just looking at the population as a whole, like right, like Asians would be in there. Yeah. Other. Well, this is also in medicine. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So in medicine, yeah, which which says a lot um because that just to me that means there's like a huge population in society that's not being served. Mhm. Their yeah. needs aren't being served. And when you think about the population of patients, like the patient population, oftentimes you look at an urban area, those are the people in the population like in in just as much presence yeah. as the white patients. So I'm just like to look at the people that you acknowledge are underrepresented in medicine and then like just now make the push to increase that how long has there been such an injustice Mm -hmm. in medicine to these patients of these groups groups. and it's sad to me because i know some med schools they pick how many um people are in their med school class depending on the their the population of that state's un, like underrepresented. Oh really? Yeah. Oh wow. So like, what do you mean by that? Like, so the med school that I'll be attending, I think they're seven percent African American. So that's how many African Americans are accepted into, accepted the, medical into school. the medical school. So the patient population is seven percent. Yeah. So wow. Okay. Yeah. Good to know. The, yeah. So they're seven percent African Americans and the population so the so so that the whenever they have graduating students it reflects the Mm -hmm. population so how do you feel like do you feel like it actually reflects though I mean when you look at the grand scheme of things let's say an entering class of a hundred you've have seven black physicians 
That's, well, yeah. And so these seven Honestly. people are supposed to take up for, even if you have 100,000 people in and your population. N- not to, let alone, like, what if they don't even come back to the state or Absolutely. work in the state? So, say, out of that, like, yeah. two or three leave, you only have five. That's so unrealistic. Like, that's, that's huge. Yeah. Wow, that's trash. Okay. Well, yikes. So, I guess being an underrepresented minority in medicine, like, how do we overcome this? Because if you have so many people in your class that are the majority population, Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot of the times your needs don't get met. So, Mm -hmm. how do you overcome this as a student? I know, like, in undergrad, that was, like, a struggle for me. Like, being, like, one of the few black people in my class. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's just, like, during something as hard as medical school, you should have a space where you feel like you can relate to your peers, where you feel like you can at least, like, talk about... Because, I mean, although we'd like to acknowledge things as, like, everybody goes through it, everybody understands, I mean, I'm going to be honest with you, like, some races don't understand why it's important to sleep on silk, you know? Some races... <laughs> some races don't understand why you got to, you know, put that bonnet on. Like, it's it's a thing, so... Just, like, to do those things, like, it, it's comfortable to know that you're accepted in that way. And I'm not saying, you know, that's the only thing about medical school that you want to be accepted in because you also want to be around, you know, your gender that you're comfortable with. You want to be able to talk about, you know, I don't know, this might be personal, but you want to be able to talk about cramping or you want to be able to talk yeah. about, like, womanly things or masculine things in a space where you feel you're accepted. And it's important to have spaces like that. So... Yeah, like, to have... I've noticed, like, on a lot of the interviews I went to, they do have a space where they try to build that sense of community, but... There's only so much you can do. Absolutely. Because it's, like, even for me, like, I feel like if I go to class, like, I can't wear my hair, like, my afro out. You know what I mean? Like, I feel like I always have to have it in a ponytail, you know? Oh, wow. I don't... I feel like You gotta get over that. I know. Ponytails are too much. (laughs) But you know what I mean? Uh, sure, yeah. I wear my hair all the time, but I get—I definitely get what you're saying. Yeah. Like, I feel like um, I wanted to wear my wrap. I really wanted to wear a hair wrap to one of my interviews. And I was just like, like this would look so cute, like, with Girl. my, you know? <laughs> yeah. And I was just like, this would, they, they wouldn't understand, you know? Like, yeah. they'd see that wrap and be like, oh, so you just didn't feel like doing your hair, you know? Versus, like, look at the expression. Like, not only does it show my face, like, you're going to recognize me regardless of my hair, you know, coming in. But it's just like... That shouldn't even be a thing that they'll necessarily worry about. But or it's judge you on. You shouldn't be judged for something that d- deals with, like, your race or your ethnicity or your culture. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just, like, they'll still they'll still see that. And that'll still be a part of who I am. So, I mean, I, I definitely understand, like, there should be a bigger push for medical schools to make space for underrepresented minorities to feel comfortable. And I don't even understand why you would limit the amount of students to let in of an underrepresented minority group because if if the push is to equate or, or make it all more balanced in medicals like in medicine then that should be the push you shouldn't be like well we're gonna accept seven percent we're gonna mm-hmm. accept ten percent no like if you want it to be even you accept anybody that's qualified you accept whoever you think will be molded into a good physician and that in itself should make it more even and i mean if you do want to focus on underrepresented minorities and make it more possible for us to get in 
then do that in a way that doesn't still keep us limited. Yeah. You know what I mean? So still give us the upper hand or, or give us acknowledge the fact that maybe our MCAT scores might not be as high as the majority. Give us that much, you know, and then go from there. But to be like, yeah, we want more underrepresented minorities and then be like, we'll take 10 compared to the two that we took two years ago. It's like, you know, right. is that really, are, are you really doing the best you can And that Do you sense? know the thing that actually really makes me mad? When you're applying to med school and, like, um, you know how, like, when you take the MCAT, you can, like, check the box where it's, like, schools can see your MCAT or whatever. So then you get these emails from all these programs that are like, oh, you're underrepresented, apply. Yeah. And then I'm like, how many people are you really sending that to? Like, yeah. Are, are my chances really that high? Like, well, I saw one school sent me a, um, they were encouraging me to apply. And, you know, when you when you first submit, get verified. And, and you and get start all these, emailing And you. you're like, oh, I'm cool. Girl, look, that is nice, right? Yeah. So I, you think I, it means something. The pri- <laughs> <laughs> you think it means But then you read it and it's like, based on your demographic, we thought you'd be a good fit. And I'm just like. Oh. So it's because I'm black. Yeah. <laughs> so, like, so actually wasn't my MCAT score like you said in the above paragraph. Like you let me know. Hey, we saw you were, you know, not white. So you want to come on in? Yeah. And I'm just like, well, yeah, it's like, does that really? I mean, it, it kind of diminishes all the work you've done. Yeah. Up to that point, because it's like. Yes, I do want to be acknowledged as a, like an underrepresented minority, but I want to be recognized as we saw that you did this much work despite the obstacles that society has placed in your way. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. I don't want you to just be like, hey, we saw you were black, so come on in. I just took the time to literally write everything I experienced in undergrad, and all you saw was that I was black. <laughs> oh, <laughs> that was it. Look, that book, uh, the book of a, uh, what is it, AMCAS? Yeah. Look, that was fifteen <laughs> pages. <laughs> Not to mention the personal statement, like yeah. you know. So I don't know. In the rough drafts. Look. In the edits. I don't even want to look. We'll talk about personal statements on another day, and then that you'll feel my anger, but. Yes, as an underrepresented minority, I feel like they should at least... I mean, I guess in that light, what we're really trying to say is don't just say you reached out to me because I'm black. Like, yeah. sure, that might be the reason. <laughs> <laughs> we get it. <laughs> but sugarcoat it a little bit. <laughs> so, yeah, but... Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, so any, more guess... on, any more on underrepresented minority? How do you feel? No, I think, I think we covered it. What okay. about disadvantaged? So, we're going to move that because... A lot of people think those are intertwined. Mm-hmm. There are some parts that are, but they're both a little different. Yeah, yeah. Do you so want to explain disadvantage? Yeah, I feel like disadvantage, I, I didn't look up the definition for that. But um, I would say they, they look at disadvantage more on the economic side. I think that's where they tie in the um, disadvantage economically. Um, I guess you could say like... Um, location wise yeah. so like if you had access to like hospitals to shadow in or things like that yeah. um disadvantaged i considered it like as far as time goes so like if you were a non-traditional student um older like and not really had the means to pursue medicine as yeah. a first choice um so literally disadvantaged more so if you had an obstacle right and i i think it's important that they separated these but also it kind of makes it 
it harder because there's some there's a lot of especially for African Americans or Hispanics a lot of people fall under both categories mm-hmm. like disadvantaged and underrepresented mm-hmm. and I, I think this is their way to filter um, people of the majority in medicine that were also disadvantaged so it's like okay I get that you, you know yeah you were from a rural town you didn't you weren't able to shadow at like a big right like, institution right so. or if you had to take like multiple years off like that's not specific to race at all you know yeah. crappy stuff happens to everybody you know so that's I, I appreciate that separation but some things I feel like a lot of students may not consider themselves disadvantaged if they feel like Specifically, like, for minorities especially, if they feel like everybody else is going through it, they'll be like, well, you know, I had to work in undergrad, I was raised by a single mom, like, but that's how everybody in my neighborhood was, so it wasn't like I was disadvantaged, you know what I mean? Yeah, so you're saying some people don't realize that they're disadvantaged. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, and not so much so that exact example, but it's like... If that's all you know, you might not. And then to call it disadvantage, it just kind of sounds like a negative thing. Yeah, it sounds like you got you did bad on the test. Right, right. And so a lot of people who may not know what this is actually asking would think, well, I don't want to say I was basically held back or something, you know, took me off track or something. You know, they, they might only look at it as a negative way, so they might not want to admit that. But let me tell you, you can always look, because AAMC... You just got to be ready to, like, admit, like, yes, I'm an underrepresented minority. Yes, I struggled, okay? And that's what you really got to let it be known because they they have the ways to help you, but it's just you got you to gotta really lay it all out out there. Mm-hmm. So I, I showed a lot of transparency in my application just, like, talking about my undergrad experience. And I necessarily don't feel like even growing up, like, I mean, I had a single mom at one point, so I don't, I, I guess that's a thing. But for me, it's just like growing up with a single mom, she did well, you know, she did her best. And I feel like we had a great upbringing. Like she, she provided as much as she possibly could. Yeah, she worked like three jobs, but, <laughs> but like my mom did the best she could. And so for me, it was never a time where we didn't like we, there was never a day that we didn't eat. Or there was never a time where we were jumping from house to house to house. So for me, I didn't feel like I was disadvantaged. But, like, put on paper, it's like, okay, yeah, I I kind of fit the narrative, you know? So another thing is, that's why I say, like, I feel like a lot of people might feel like because they weren't starving or homeless, they weren't disadvantaged. No, I like the fact that you said that because the post-bag program that I did is actually funny because, like, I think because the demographic for it was underrepresented underrepresented and disadvantaged students Mm -hmm. so like I know the first couple of weeks we were all there like like one person's like a couple people's parents were doctors like some people's parents were like they had money growing up and so I felt like they almost felt like they had to hide that Mm -hmm. because they thought like the program was only for like they thought disadvantaged and they got into the program because they they like they were Hispanic and they everyone assumes that Hispanic people they don't or have do, money. Yeah. You know? So they so, fit They fit one of the categories. Yeah, but they were trying to also fit the disadvantaged category. And, like, they were just, like, really weird about, like, their upbringing and family situation because they didn't want people to think that they weren't disadvantaged. And I'm, like, you shouldn't feel... You know what I mean? Like, oh, yeah. you should embrace, like, your background. And if you are disadvantaged, be proud of it. Like, you made it this far. Absolutely. And I mean, if you, from. there's nothing wrong with having an advantage. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, 
part of what who's getting into medical school you know they acknowledge that disadvantaged students might not have the resources to get them a 4.0 GPA or to get them a uh, 528 or 7 I was far from both of them but uh, <laughs> but they acknowledge that you might not have had the resources to get these perfect um, numerical values and so that's their consideration as far as like okay maybe you didn't have the resources to do this much however this is the ways you made up for it and that's like why I think it's important to at least not try to find out ways you could have been disadvantaged Mm -hmm. but put it on paper like put your experiences on paper really take time to just document the things that you feel like might consider you disadvantaged and when you look at it or like have someone else look at it they'll be like yeah like this this is kind of like a good like a good reason so like for me I worked all of undergrad and so because of that and and also it's really important not to look at this as an excuse yeah because I yeah I felt like I was making an excuse for my subpar grades Mm -hmm. and I was just like I don't want to I don't want to look like I'm begging or like I'm basically like fluffing up the real case but really it was like okay I worked like 25 to 35 hours a week I couldn't study for organic chemistry the way I I couldn't study for organic chemistry the way I could have or I couldn't spend all day on campus or things like that you know so yeah when even that counts as disadvantaged were you considered a disadvantaged student yeah I put I put that on my MCAS but it was because of Athletics. Yeah, I put athletics because I was a student athlete in undergrad. So I, like weekends, we were gone. Like I was never there on the weekends. Like I know during finals week, like I always missed finals. Like I always missed tests, and I was always missing classes. So yeah, um, I I use that as not an excuse, but I use that as part of my reasoning for why I felt like I was disadvantaged in undergrad. And that's a really good point. Like. That wasn't economic or, like, your family upbringing at all. It was just specific to college experience. So, like, if you have something that happened, even in college, it doesn't have to be your upbringing or anything like that. Just something that basically hindered you from being reaching your full academic potential. Yes. And that's something, like, I really stressed in my um, disadvantage statement. Like, yes, I did have these negative setbacks or whatever but I'm sure being an athlete taught you a lot of things about yourself that you might not have learned you know so you have to at least end it with that we'll talk about the disadvantage statement more um when we cover like the full application oh because we gonna get into that application but um (laughs) yeah so definitely like gonna talk about disadvantage there but it's it's really important to acknowledge that disadvantage is not so much so a negative to your character or any type of excuse it's just a way to help them paint the picture of who you are. Yes. Somebody explained to me, like, when you're doing your application, like, these people are basically using this paper to paint a picture. And Out you, of, like, thousands of thousands of applicants. Exactly. So you want to, like, give them as many colors as they can to paint this picture of who you are. You know what I mean? You want them to get a good idea of who you are. So if even, like, the setbacks is involved in that embrace that like the more confident you are in your application these disadvantages won't tarnish who you are as long as you're confident about who you are but excuse me um anything else that no i think we covered it 
Yeah, I think I think that's really well. So um, we had some people talk about like what they considered disadvantage. So although we didn't have any Mahoney messengers, we had some <laughs> people comment on our Instagram. And if you don't follow us on Instagram, please follow us on Instagram. It's Melanin in Medicine. Oh, I took out the zero too. So now it's Melanin period in like I N period medicine. medicine. Follow us. Yeah, because we got it going on. So, um, yeah, people really kind of talked about, like, disadvantage. And we had, I want to say, 98% uh, of the people that answered our poll, are, do you consider yourself an underrepresented minority, said yes. 98%. Wow. Yeah. And so um, I want to say the amount for disadvantage, like, do you consider yourself disadvantaged, was, like, 90%. Okay. Yeah, and so maybe that speaks to who looks at our polls. But, um, yeah, so you can tell, like, a lot of the people... And mind you, we went to post-bac programs, and, like, we we are underrepresented minorities, so maybe that says something about who we have following us or anything like That's that. True. But um, all that to say, like, although you have these things, it's very possible to go to medical school. It's very, like, it, the, the resources are there. We just have to dig harder. We just have to find it. Um, and so, like I was saying... People on our Instagram said they saw disadvantage as, like, not having access to resources. Yes. And would you say it's more so a resource thing with disadvantage? Um, I would say it could be, I wouldn't say, because for me, like, being a student athlete, I had access to resources. Mine was time, unless you consider time a resource. Mm, that's deep. You know? I guess, maybe. <laughs> So I'm like, yeah, part of it, yeah, it was resources. Yeah, Mm -hmm. some people might not be able to buy a Kaplan course Mm -hmm. and have to self-study. That's a disadvantage. Mm -hmm. Like, you're not able to get the tutors that you need, like, if you need extra supplemental work. But then other people, I'm trying to think of something that's not, like, resources. Like, you might be disadvantaged... I mean, location was good, but, like, location would also be resource. Like a resource. Like, you can't access resources with certain location. Yeah. Yeah. Or some people, like, you might be, what, a single mom in undergrad, and you're trying to take your classes, study for the so MCAT. That's time. Raise, yeah, that's time. Yeah. Like, raise kids at the same time. Yeah. So. That's very true. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, to a degree, it is resource, because, like, the advantage is having those resources you know having a parent that is a physician having those family members or living in those affluent neighborhoods yeah knowing like how knowing what programs to apply to when to apply like having a mentor like that's a resource Yeah. yeah yeah and so yeah it is it is a big part of it at least would be resources which stinks because a lot of people don't have access to those resources that's like the biggest part that like that's like the biggest push for us doing this podcast is because we realize like although the resources exist it is so hard to just like dig them up or just even know how to dig them up because when you're starting undergrad like you don't think like you don't know like oh it's a post-bac program what's oh and so we got information yes to kind of clear up the jargon because we might use like a lot of jargon or like just terms that we're used to. So post-bac is a post-baccalaureate program for anyone who does not know. <laughs> and basically, um, they have post-baccalaureate programs for a lot of different uh, yeah. career paths. It's not necessarily specific to medicine, 
But when we talk about a post-baccalaureate program, we've done post-bacs that are um, GPA. Well, was your GPA Yeah, boosting? GPA and uh, MCAT boosters. And mm-hmm. then they have some for, like, people who didn't finish taking their uh, prereqs for med school. Or, like, career changers. Yeah, career changers. There's, like, all different types of post-bacs. So when we go into the post-bac episode, we'll probably describe them more all that yes but so yeah that's what we mean but um yeah you're you're absolutely right like yeah I actually got into like an argument with this guy and he insisted that you know he was just like the resources are out there you just have to be willing to find it and it was more so like a um he was basically saying like people have to take the initiative which is very true you know nothing's going to be handed to you mm-hmm. but at the same time it's like to to basically find those resources, to go online and Google how to be a doctor, you know, like we talked about in our first episode, how to be a doctor, and then to actually act that out, you run into a lot of, like, bumps in the road where you yes. see, like, okay, it says step four, you know, take an MCAT. Okay, so how do you take the MCAT? Yes. Well, you got to set up an account on AMCAS. Well, how do you do, do that? that like, yeah. Well, how do you sign up for your MCAT? Oh, it's $300? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you should study like six weeks to like three months for this exam? Yeah. Okay. So like, you know, when you're looking at this, let's say as a freshman, you're either one going to be intimidated. That is very true. And, you know, influenced to change your mind, or you're just going to feel overwhelmed and like, Although it is, like, good to know what's ahead of you, having a mentor can can really alleviate these issues where it's just like, I know it sounds like a lot, but when you break it down, you know, people are always impressed when we say, like, we're going to medical school. Because all they know is that it's a lot of work, and it's a lot of time, and it's a lot of money. Yeah, You know, but, like... They don't really know, like, when you break it up into eight years. All the stuff that you go through. Right. When you take the MCAT, when you uh, apply to medical school and, like, practice for interviews. Like, although it's a lot, when you break it down, like, it's manageable and it's possible. Yes. So, that's really what it comes down to. But, like, the resources, yes, they're out there. But having that guidance makes all the difference, in my opinion. That is very true. Yeah. So... Um, but yeah, most definitely. So anything else we'd like to add on this topic? I was really excited to talk about this topic just because I've had a lot of, um, so I definitely had a guy at my job who was basically just questioning why he had to get such a high score on the MCAT and, um, you know, for underrepresented minority, the standard was lower, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. And he was just like, I don't understand. Because I, <laughs> I told him, like, I was like, oh, well, you know, you're a white male. You're very populated in the medical field. So you would probably need a higher MCAT score than I do. And he was like, what do you mean? And I was like, well, I'm just letting you know, like, the average acceptance, the average MCAT score for acceptance accepted African-Americans, at least, is like a 504. Mm-hmm. And so he was like... Well, I, what do I need? And I was like, well, I feel like, like I thought I'd Probably seen like at a least. five ten. It's, yeah, for, for a white male, yeah. it's high. It's like five ten, five fifteen, And not to say, like, you can get in with, you know, a 495 if you got the personality, if you got the skill. Yeah, if you, you got the, the right heart. Look, if you so, have the heart. <laughs> look. So it's not to say, like, you're limited in your MCAT score and only on your MCAT score, but under I'm I'm very glad that they've started acknowledging that underrepresented minorities, specifically African Americans, don't have access to these these resources the way other races do. 
and I hate to make such a big deal about like like race and things like that but at the same time it's there and and there's a difference in what we're what we have access to there, there's a difference and there's a reason for that difference but we won't get into you know politicking but politicking. <laughs> look but um yeah so I'm glad that they at least acknowledge that and I had to explain that to him like you there's a difference and so he was just like I don't understand like you know we all take these classes and yeah yeah we all sit in the classes and we all try but other people got stuff going on at home that you might never have to experience or even understand or even can fathom absolutely and it's like did you have to work during undergrad like there's absolutely and it's like did you have to work because you had to or because you wanted pocket money yeah and that's another thing like I feel like uh AMCAS also kind of acknowledges that like why were you working two jobs? Did you want to buy some extra Fenty? Or did you have to pay the bills? <laughs> I say that because I'd like some Fenty. Yeah, for I was like... <laughs> Whatever. I was like, uh, I definitely was buying extra Fenty, not gonna lie. <laughs> That's wild. That lip gloss, though. Oh, my God. That lip gloss. <laughs> that lip gloss. But, um, yeah, so, like, I had to basically explain that. And I think it's really important for us to acknowledge this difference and acknowledge... The fact that they realize, excuse me, they realize underrepresented minorities aren't dominating in the medical field, and yet these are the patients that they're treating. And so, what they realize is that a lot of the physicians don't know how to um, not necessarily relate to the patient, but they just can't eliminate that barrier. One of the podcasts I listened to, she uh, she was looking for a therapist. You know, did you listen to this episode? I don't think you did. I li- you didn't send me that one. Oh, okay, okay. It's further down. I've been. It's a podcast. Yeah, I you'll have to. to send it to me. I love it. I'd shout <laughs> it out, but it's not appropriate for this. But uh, <laughs> she was looking for a therapist, and somewhere in her therapy session, she was meeting with a white woman. Somewhere in her therapy session, she was explaining like her barriers and her personal experiences, and she happened to use the N word, and her therapist was just like. I'm sorry, wait, what? And she was just completely thrown off. Like, the story that she was telling just took a turn. And she was just, the therapist just didn't understand. And at that moment, the lady, like, realized she was just like, I need a black therapist. You know what I mean? Yeah. As a black woman, she was like, I I need a black therapist because I feel like there's a barrier in what I'm talking about. She wasn't called three competent. Right. And what I'm talking about and what you can only relate to. You can only relate so much. And this is not to say if you have a physician that's white and you're black or Latina or if your uh, physician is uh, Middle Eastern or in your Asian, anything like that. Like, this is not to say that your care is specifically based on race. But like I said, you have to acknowledge that these... I, I even race is a social construct, so I hate to even give it this much weight. Mm-hmm. But these <laughs> these um, categories that we've been put in in society, it is it, it gives you a different experience in life. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a different perspective, and you have to acknowledge that. And if your physician isn't able to acknowledge that, that's what makes the difference yeah. in the care. So you can have a bomb physician that's not your race and still get it. And that's what's important. As long as they're able to get it, as long as they are there and understanding those things. So Yeah, and I think one thing you kind of brought up is um, with that guy being said, if we have doctors going into the medical field that we're all the same, white males, 
blue collar background, like had the same background, we would never get any growth or different perspectives in the medical field. Absolutely. Like you wouldn't like you bring something different to the table than I bring. Like we had different upbringings and we're both considered the same type of underrepresented minority. Right. And like compared to someone who's Hispanic or someone who lived half their life in a different country and came here, like we all bring different things to the table. Mm -hmm. And I think now med schools are starting to realize like we can't have all the same type of people and all the same type of thinking um, in the same, sitting in the same classroom, like nothing's ever going to get done and we're never going to get as far as we can. Right. If we have all the same type of thinking. Yeah. And to consider like medicine is always growing. So it's just Mm -hmm. so counterintuitive to have such a complacent mindset when you're accepting patients, when you're accepting (laughs) students, but to have like such an open mind when it comes to medicine. So yeah, you just, uh, yeah, you just really, it blows you away. And I'm I'm glad that they're acknowledging that, but I hate how long it took. That's really, that's really what stinks. And like, even now, like you look at specialties and like the specialty I would like to go into, like. It's what eleven percent female. Yeah, that's that's pretty bad. And I'm just like that can't be like I'm sure there's more people getting. I, I want to go into orthopedics, and so like I'm sure there's more people getting orthopedic treatment besides men. You know, and I'm just like, Definitely. how is that even? Yes, you know, it's it's not gonna limit your care, but you look at like the big difference between just like how that's looked at, like okay. Are the females working in this position respected the same? Are they getting just as much um, respect from their patients as they would as a man? Are they getting paid the same? A girl. Politics. (laughs) But, (laughs) But yeah, like, you think about it, it's just like how far behind has medicine been? Like, as far as, like, reflecting its actual patient population. And how has that impacted the population as a whole? Look at all these, like, different um, diseases that are higher in different demographics. Like, why is that? Like, heart disease and all of that, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Or if we just look at the history of medicine, like Tuskegee. Girl. Look, Henrietta Lacks. Like, literally, all of that. And it's just like, you look at the, the... not injustice well definitely the injustice and like the trust issues and it's like okay now it makes sense like why so many people may put off their medications put off going on to the doctor and it's like when you look at the obstacles versus the mistrust there's a lot of negative like connotations that medicine may have and not to mention the big issues with like pharma and how people feel like it's only basically for money and it's like this is the thing that we would like to alleviate for certain and let people know like yes like medications and like medicine has taken a little bit of a political position in itself but at the end of the day like the treatment like of the patient is the forefront you know that's the biggest thing leading medicaid medicine as in itself and that should be what leads research that should be what leads physicians and that should be everything that is said on their mind it's like okay is this best for the patient at the end of the day mm-hmm, that's and, true yeah and so by doing that by having a physician that's going to ask themselves that question you have to have these diversities and things like that or, or be in a classroom with people who think differently than mm-hmm. you so that you can understand why they're even thinking that Right, or right. even know that that's a thought you should even think. Mm-hmm. You know? Shout out to it. So all this to say, um, we've got our 
excuse me, um, our hidden Jemison of the week. And I'm so excited. Yes, y'all, explain this is, it. This is Spill such a good tea, one. Kia, spill the tea. Spilling. So, <laughs> so this one is UCRTP. And it's Undergraduate Cancer Research Training Program. Now listen to me, because I know this might be a stretch. Maybe not everybody wants to do this, but this program is amazing. So this is a program at UCLA or um, Charles Drew, which is a um, it's a minority, it's an uh, HBCU yeah. um, in LA, Los Angeles, right? So amazing. And it's a medical school that hosts it, Charles Drew. I don't know why I'm having such a hard time explaining this. But um, you're so excited. I am. I was like, dang, I really wish I knew about this. So it's a medical school that hosts it. It's up to 12 weeks during the summer. You have to be um, either a... So it's for freshmen, sophomore, and juniors in undergrad. Um, and you have to have successfully completed your beginner's college-level general biology and introductory chemistry. So you do research, right? You're guided through your research. You don't have to have any like previous experience. You need a minimum 3.0 GPA, and that's overall GPA. Um, and then you also have the opportunity to get up to $5,000 if you were to stay the entire 12 weeks. Um, and so I, I guess they have different opportunities for you and different um, durations of those. So you'd basically choose, I guess, but you would have to kind of get more information about that. Um, but so the deadline for applying is February 4th, 2019. Um, so if you, you know, listen in kind of close to that time, you might want to get on it. You need to have two letters of recommendation, your official transcript, um, and then you have to fill out their online application. And so if you just Google undergraduate cancer research training program and you can probably put like UCLA um then that's the thing we'll also put it on our um Instagram we'll definitely make a post about it and just put the link in the description probably yes um and if that's something that you're really interested in be proactive don't just sit around and you're like oh February's in a couple months do it now right now because you will forget yeah and honestly like when you apply look it's nothing wrong with applying early you want to <laughs> get into the habit of doing that now because let's say you might be dwindling on a 3.0 maybe you got like a 3.1 and you know this semester is looking a little shaky <laughs> maybe you might want to apply before that other semester comes into play or before the semester ends so excuse the train but <laughs> so yeah definitely get be pro at shout out to that but um this is a really amazing it's laboratory research um and it's important we'll talk about research and all that uh in later episodes but it's really important to get this exposure especially because this is one of those things that we mm -hmm. talked about like diversifying your experiences maybe you haven't done any research maybe you've done a ton of it just not in la so um, i know yeah, different patient population. And if this is a summer program in L.A., excuse me? Like, yeah. I'm going. <laughs> Absolutely. Say no more. So, um, so if that narrows down that we don't live in L.A., there you go. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, so that's our hidden Jemison for this. If you have any questions about it, just email us. Or um, if you've done the program and yeah. want to give us feedback on it so we could give to listeners that would be amazing. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So, yeah, hit us up. Um, email is melanin, I-N, in medicine, zero two, at gmail.com. Please don't make me email myself, y'all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, that's all I got. Yeah. Any more? 
No. Well, thank you guys for listening to us. Yeah, we did thanks. lots of rambling, but we wanted you guys to really <laughs> understand what a disadvantaged minority and under oh, wait disadvantaged student. student or individual in underrepresented minority is, and you should be proud of it and embrace all of your experiences mm-hmm. and shortcomings or long whatever. Yes, all that, all, all of it, all that. Just be proud of where you are and right now. Right, and know that you are not stagnant in where you are, that you're going somewhere. Yes, and you will be an amazing doctor one day. So, on that note, we'll close it on out. So, have a good week, and we'll see you next week.